0: Hello and welcome to the Brain People podcast. My name is Jonathan Edens and I'm here with my co-host.
1: Amanda Anguish. <laughs>
0: and today are we, discu- we are discussing fighting fair, how to argue and still like each other at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: Amanda, how come we chose this topic today?
1: Well, it's probably because between the two of us, we're not married to each other, but <laughs> um, we have so many years of experience in marriage, we thought we should share this with everybody
0: else. So, so for some context, <laughs> while we are not necessarily claiming to be, um, you know, professionals at marriage necessarily, uh-huh. uh, you know, I've been married for four years, been in this relationship for eight, mm-hmm. and uh, a man is actually relatively newly married. You've been married yes, now for how long?
1: a year and a half.
0: Okay. But. <laughs> with all your with all your uh, experience with cognitive mm. behavioral therapy and just being uh, a therapist, uh, you know, I, I assume that going into the marriage, a lot of those tools were, were very helpful.
1: I like to reframe that and let people know I don't have a lot of baggage, so I'm not giving you a tainted view of marriage and all the stuff. I'm really teaching people techniques, and I've just had less experience at using them. <laughs>
0: well sometimes the first couple of years are the best times to yes, gain additional experience and learn true. more about yourself and the other person uh, so today you know we we uh, the, both of us are here and we've talked a lot about cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT mm-hmm. in the past and so today we're going to be discussing sort of a iteration of cognitive therapy what we call cognitive interpersonal therapy mm-hmm. so basically using those techniques uh, between different individuals
1: yep and these work for anybody we're talking about spouses in particular but these work in other relationships situations too.
0: So let's go through some of the basic tenets or principles of cognitive mm-hmm. interpersonal therapy. And uh, these these three principles, I did adopt them from the, the book Feeling Good Together mm-hmm. uh, by Dr. David Burns, which is, uh, it's a really excellent book uh, for, for uh, just gaining some additional uh, concepts surrounding this particular topic, but we'll walk through those and then I'll have you kind of comment on mm-hmm. each one of them. Uh, so the first principle is uh, when we're working with, you know, when with uh, somebody else and we're having a conflict, uh, We unknowingly provoke the relationship issues that we frequently complain about. about. Uh, We then tend to blame the other person and assume that we are the victim. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, so (laughs) Have you ever ever been there (laughs) (laughs) or seen patients that have been there? Well, I I really try to work on not doing that myself, but I definitely see that happen in situations where if we're already anticipating it, you know, we can actually build up some stress between the relation or in the relationship that even provokes that. And if both people are trying to protect themselves from something they think is going to happen because maybe it has happened before, then that builds an extra barrier between the two people and stuff that that's why we call it provoking.
0: Why do you think that we tend to do that how come how come we as individuals, especially when it's somebody that we love and we care mm-hmm. about, why is it that we're automatically jumping to blame what mm-hmm. what do, do you think?
1: I think it's because we really want to protect ourselves you know there's there's things that we've experienced, and you know you you know just as much as I do that you know we really focus on our thoughts and our thoughts have a tendency to we want to use our thoughts to protect ourselves. And we're afraid maybe, or we're anxious about something happening that we're not sure is going to, but we think might. And so we start building up all the weapons and the shields and everything like that. And we inadvertently don't realize we're bringing on the very thing that we thought we were protecting ourselves from.
0: Yeah, one thing that I would add, even though we might say uh, to ourselves that the person we love the most in this life is say our mm-hmm. spouse or a child or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in fact, a lot of times the way we actually act is that we're putting ourselves above those people. So, you know, yes. when we tend to blame, it's uh, us protecting our own ego and our own selfishness. And mm-hmm. so- you know, that, that's that's really it, it is it's a really difficult thing to overcome and hopefully mm-hmm. we can uh, as we kind of have this discussion we can we can talk about some ways to overcome that yeah. so uh, the second basic principle of cognitive interpersonal therapy is that self-examination is both difficult and painful as a result we not only fail to recognize our own role in interpersonal conflicts but we fail to admit the reward and receive uh, excuse me we fail to admit the reward that we receive from protecting our own ego mm-hmm.
1: uh, so basically
0: uh, kind of an of what I was saying earlier is that <clears throat> it's it's difficult, it's painful, it's very hard to look at yourself, to evaluate all the character flaws that we have in ourselves. And uh, uh, you know it, there is somewhat of a, a reward by protecting our own ego. Um, mm-hmm. So any comment on that?
1: Well, we we get to protect ourselves from changing too, because I think change is a very scary thing for a lot of us. Even if what we're doing right now is very dysfunctional or counterproductive or maladaptive, we do it because it's what we know, and oftentimes we do what we know more than what's actually good for us, and so we're protecting ourselves from actually having to change the things that are associated with that behavior too. And I—that's a lot of work. We don't. I—I I use an example of you know when I'm working with people who are, say, an alcoholic. I'm not just asking them to change the fact that they drink or don't drink. I'm asking them also inadvertently or, you know, with that to, you have to change the behaviors that you're doing with the drinking. That means the people you're spending time with, the activities that you go to, where drinking is happening. And it's just, it becomes a bigger thing than we realize because we just talk about alcohol. And that's the same way with, if I'm doing something wrong... Or that's not working in my relationship. I don't have to just change that in the relationship. Maybe that's with other people that I'm also dealing with or at my work or school or, you know, you name it. So it's connected with everything else.
0: So number three is that troubled relationships can be improved rapidly if both individuals are willing to pursue a consistent practice of mutual self-sacrifice of one's own ego. And I like to think of this as a daily practice and Mm -hmm. and even like a minute by minute practice. Because so much of the time, uh, we're always, whether we recognize it or not, we're always putting our own interests in front of uh, those around us. Mm -hmm. And when those interests don't necessarily align with the person that we're most intimate with or sharing, you know, life with together, um, that can cause almost immediate conflict. However, when you recognize that and you put in some, um, you know, you you sort of conceptualize that and then you put in some, uh, specific strategies to, to mitigate those things, it can really lead to a, a very happy and thriving marriage.
1: Absolutely. And I would, I would just add to that too, because sometimes when you tell people it requires minute by minute work, that just sounds excruciating. (laughs) Like the rest of my life, I'm going to have to do this. Like, are you serious? But I, I like the, the fact that the more work I do now, the less work I have to do later. It's an investment. You're doing, you're investing in the later reward of it. And we never have to do as much work later because it becomes a habit and it's just an outward manifestation of what I do all the time. But it just seems so new and so different that, yes, I have to do the work now, but there is a reward later in doing the work.
0: So quick note on making relationships better. Um, mm-hmm. So these are three strategies in a pop quiz. Um, mm-hmm. Which of these three strategies do you think is going to be the most effective to bring about change in somebody else? So let me give you the three. (laughs) So one, wait for the other person to change, uh, Mm -hmm. two, try to change the other person or three to change yourself first.
1: Um, Definitely change myself first.
0: <laughs> yeah, so typically, uh, mm-hmm. I think most people kind of recognize this, that usually when we're looking for change in another person, and typically arguments are going to revolve like, I want the other person to do something mm-hmm. differently. I want them to be a different person um, or to you know have a different uh, cer- certain set of behaviors or, or something along those lines. And so we try to do that by either... Uh, avoiding it and waiting for them to change or engaging with it and trying to get them to change and then convince them you know mm-hmm. that they're in the wrong and they need to make you know
1: because uh, that works better. so well with yeah. me when you tell me how <laughs> awful I am it makes me go oh Jonathan whatever you want me to do I'm gonna do for you <laughs> No, that doesn't work. So,
0: so number three, definitely changing yourself first mm-hmm. is usually the best way to get kind of uh, the secondary benefit of your your spouse or a close friend or whoever it is that's in your life to mm-hmm. to to be that change. If you can, if you can be that change first, uh, you know, a lot of times if the person that you're working with is reasonable, they're going to see the positive mm-hmm. benefits that you've been receiving, and then they're going to mirror that.
1: Yeah, right. and I would just I would say something with that, and maybe this will come up later too. I, I, I should probably wait till later, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I'm willing to admit that there's something that I'm doing wrong, it makes it a hundred times easier for the other person to be willing to say, "Okay, since you already said that, now I'm I'm I think I could do that too." So I challenge everybody who's listening to be the first in your next conflict to admit that you have done something, don't do it if you can't figure out what it is. Don't make up something. But when you do realize, yeah, I could have done a little bit more of this, watch how it melts the other person and they become more willing to admit that they've done something too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It it really, especially if you're not, Prone to doing that, mm-hmm. it's really going to put your your spouse, your partner, off guard if mm-hmm. you're if you're quick to sort of jump in and 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 really have a, a sincere apology. And yeah. if you can really frame it in a way that makes them uh, uh, realize uh, like that you're actually being sincere mm-hmm. in in asking for forgiveness, it usually melts away any sort of uh, oh yeah any sort of contention that's going on between the two of you.
1: And it doesn't negate the things that they may have done that hurt you. It just means that I'm willing to show that. I'm receptive to, you know, change too
0: absolutely uh, the next point I want to make before we kind of jump into our different rules uh, for having a fair fight mm-hmm. is there's is, uh, at least in, in the book in feeling good together he does talk about a study that they used um, with you know I think it was thousands and thousands of, of couples um, all do- all different sorts of cultures and, uh, and and races and ages and and whatnot and there was basically one uh, one characteristic that was able to determine what whether or not these couples ended up having a successful marriage or not, mm-hmm. any do you have any thoughts as to what that might be?
1: Um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to let you tell us. Okay,
0: <laughs> uh, basically, whether or not a couple or individuals uh, within the within the relationship were either uh, more so people that would blame. So Mm -hmm. either uh, other blame or Mm self-blame or whether or not they were willing to accept personal responsibility. So that was the one and uh, basically most important factor. If if you find that you're somebody that's constantly pointing the finger at the other person, then really the prognosis for your relationship or at least having a really healthy and thriving relationship Mm -hmm. is not very good. However, if you're willing to accept the personal responsibility, even if... You know, uh, there's, it's always a two way street, right? So the other person, yes, has some level of responsibility, but your, 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 uh, your goal is to not constantly emphasize that and to assume all of the responsibility. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, and both people can do that, then, you know, you can really, um, you know, fight fairly.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: So let's talk about some of these rules, so to speak, that we kind of came up with uh, to have a fair fight, so that at the end, you know, both of you guys can win, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and you can and you can still like and love each other. So the the rules that we'll be discussing are basically a list of uh, different. Uh, different things that we think are incredibly mm-hmm. important for when you're engaging in an argument to make sure that it doesn't become, uh, you know, something that's extremely yeah. detrimental you to You don't want to
1: slaughter the other person, your no, spouse. <laughs>
0: definitely not. So the first one uh, is that conflict is not inherently bad. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about that one. What do we okay. mean
1: by that? Okay. So a lot of times, you know, people think like, oh, if we fight, that means like we're going to end up in divorce however long down the road that we go. But Conflict is not bad. I th- I might have mentioned this in another podcast, but we like to say in therapy, if both of you agree all the time, one of you is not necessary because the other one is just a copycat of the one person. And so I, I even like to remind myself, like, I like that my husband doesn't always agree with me because it means he's a person with a backbone, you know? If he agreed with everything I said, I would probably start to question him too. <laughs> sure. But when when we, f- when we fight or argue or spar, whatever you wanna call it, have conflict, if we believe, and this goes back to our thoughts, if I believe that conflict is bad or fighting is bad, then what am I gonna do? One of two things. I'm either going to avoid it, which means I might avoid something that needs to be talked about, or I'm going to react before I even get to, you know, have that conversation and stuff. And a lot of what we do, even in fighting when we're not fighting fair, is reacting versus responding appropriately to what's being said. So, one
0: one comment that I'd make about that, uh, well, actually, there's there's a couple comments, but one of them is that uh, conflict in and of itself is not inherently bad, mm-hmm. but too much conflict is obviously yes. a bad thing. And mm-hmm. there's there it, it is important to have an appropriate. Uh, ratio so to speak mm-hmm. between you know when you're actually having these uh, these arguments versus you know how many sort of positive interactions that you have and mm-hmm. so you know I, I think it might have been John Gottman that actually talked about this in one of his books um, but basically he was able to find that there was a particular ratio of positive to negative interactions with couples and yes. uh, obviously the the more the better but in general you know after a certain level it wasn't actually uh, more detrimental to the relationship to have some of those conflicts the other and- thing that that I would that I would add on there is that uh, basically uh, it's, uh, this sort of goes along the lines with what you said but uh, whatever experience that we have really comes down to how we interpret that experience, mm-hmm. and so conflict. If you see that as an opportunity for growth, if you see that as an opportunity to improve your marriage, mm-hmm. to pro- improve your relationship, then it can very well have the capacity to do that. Uh, and and that's and that's been true in my own marriage. Um, a lot of the times when my marriage has been the best have been following. Uh, a, a conflict,
1: yeah, it's kind of exciting in a weird sort of way. <laughs> You're like, yeah, we just tackled that, and we came out better from it and and th- they kind of go together those two points because I think some people think, and I'm glad you you know, balanced what I said, because some people think the more you fight, the more you care too. And they think like, oh, this person is engaged and they're fighting with me. So they must really care. And we have this skewed idea that if we're always fighting, it means like I'm always intensely there with you. And it's almost kind of a codependency that I need you to spar with me or I need you to fight with me in order to know you're still invested in this. It just leave you really drained afterwards if that's all you're doing all the time. So that is important to have that balance.
0: So our next uh, rule for fighting fair is to establish fair fight boundaries ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, would you ever compete in a competition if you didn't know the rules?
1: Um, probably not.
0: Probably not. How could <laughs> I you? might lose? You, you, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to
1: know how to win. No, yeah, I'm just exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so we're not necessarily saying that a uh, relationship is, is mm-hmm. a competition, but if you can, if you can, uh, you you're you're going to be able to limit the uh, how extreme a fight mm-hmm. will go to if both of you can ahead of time kind of agree on a set of guidelines or principles uh, that you're not necessarily going to cross. So mm-hmm. essentially, having boundaries. Um, w- within the fight is going to really help keep things from getting too dirty.
1: Yeah, and sometimes that's just the amount of time we're going to talk about it because we don't want to be up all night, you know, dealing with this.
0: So what are some, are there any other examples uh, that you would say would be good boundaries to have within and to create sort of a fair fight environment?
1: Yeah, Um specifically, uh, John Gottman talks about this because he's sort of the guru in this area. He's done the most research probably of anybody in terms of couples. He actually talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, he calls them, which I think sounds really dramatic and exciting. But um, those four are, one of them is contempt. And contempt is um, one of the things we don't want to do, obviously, because the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Nobody wants to bring that into their home. But the reason we talk about contempt is because contempt is that kind of disgust or disdain that you have with somebody. And when you you say certain things that really come off as, as like, I don't really respect you. Like, You do this, and oh, you can't be trusted with this. That those are the kinds of things that that are contempt, and we don't want to do that. We want to build the other person up and and get the most out of the fight. Honestly, Um, the second thing we don't want to do is criticism. You know, we all have flaws. All of us, whether we like to believe it or not. And when we pick apart at somebody and constantly say, oh, you do this, and why are you doing this, and just this incessant sort of like, you call it nagging even, but why do you have to do it this way? What's wrong with you? You don't want to do it that. Just simply make a request of what you want versus just picking apart what the person is doing. The third thing is defensiveness. And defensiveness just means I'm not willing to listen because I don't like to hear that I've done something that's hurt you. And this is sometimes where people do gaslighting, you know, like they say, oh, well, you don't remember things, right? Or, oh, that's what somebody else told you and they have a problem with that, but I don't have a problem. Really listen and hear the whole thing out and then recognize the parts that you do relate with and let it be that and work on it. And the last one or the fourth one is stonewalling. And this is sometimes what we do if we tend to be avoiders, like I don't want to deal with this. We just put up a wall and say, I can't do this and walk away. And one of the things that I like to encourage people to do instead of stonewall is to say, you know, I'd really, and we, we might bring this up later too, is recognize that, I want to work this out with my spouse, but I'm not feeling like I'm ready to do that or I don't know how to talk about it right now. So I need some time to separate to figure out what and rather than just say I can't talk about it because what does that feel like if somebody says I can't talk about this with you? Rather than that, what I like to suggest is say, I need 15 minutes or I need 30 minutes to gather my thoughts and then I'm going to come back. That way that person's not left going, are they ever going to talk to me? Are they just abandoned me and now I'm alone with this issue and I don't know how to deal with it? Let them know that you are going to come back and that's why I say give a specific time limit that you're going to come back at.
0: So the the next two points are actually going to be uh, specifically kind of discussing stonewalling
1: uh, mm-hmm. And
0: and giving uh, some specific examples of how you can avoid that, but some other things I just kind of throw in there, particularly with the contempt and the criticism. So you know, some examples uh, in in terms of creating boundaries between uh, between the both of you uh, might be also just avoiding name calling, right? Yes. That, that's really not anything that's ever going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, threats specifically, like. Uh, uh, I, if, if we can't figure this out, like this relationship's going to end that, mm-hmm. that, that creates really high or a, a certain level of expectations and a lack of trust, um, that makes it very difficult to then uh, work through. And then of yeah. course, like physical. Real quick on that one. Yeah. I want
1: to say something too, because I think we've kind of become desensitized to that, especially mm. in our culture. Cause even in politics, you'll see politicians like say something or you'll read an article about somebody. And rather than discuss the actual issue, they go, oh, well, you're stupid or you can't, you know, what's wrong with you? You're a, you know, defective politician or something. And so we inadvertently don't realize that this is kind of stuff we might be picking up from just society around us too, but it's not effective. We don't get anywhere when we name call.
0: Uh, the last thing I would add is just physical aggression. That should mm-hmm. never be on the table. Nope. I know, I know a lot of patients that have told me that they're they're throwing things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've had patients where there was actually physical violence involved. Uh, clearly, that that should not be allowed in any. In and any intimidation
1: fight. too, because Intimid- you can yeah. you could you don't have to hurt somebody to make somebody feel afraid.
0: So uh, point three is to schedule the argument in advance if mm-hmm. possible. So essentially, what we're trying to say is if there's some if there's some building tension on a particular topic between you and the other uh, you and your spouse, um, it's it's best if you can get that out before it it sort of the the bubble sort of bursts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can schedule some time to say, hey, you know, husband or wife, I I really want to uh, talk about this specific issue with you. So if we could schedule maybe some time around dinner or this weekend or whatnot, where we can have a discussion, that'll give both of you maybe a little bit more time to become uh, prepared. And Mm -hmm. so hopefully the the conversation will be a little bit more uh, logical, less heated, you know, a little less Mm -hmm. emotion involved in it. And more
1: convenient. Sometimes we have stuff going on and it's not a good time to talk about it. So be, you know, generous with considering like, hey, is this person or is he or she you know willing to do it because they have other stuff maybe on their mind or whatever you're not going to get a good result if you force somebody to fight with you when they're busy.
0: Another another aspect or another rule that we would like to point out is um, have a timeout word if things mm-hmm. get too heated. So this is kind of a uh, uh, ahead of time you agree on a particular word uh, that or basically, a, you know, a series of words or a phrase or whatever um, where you can agree to take a break and separate yourselves, uh, you know, to some extent, and just allow yourselves to cool off, collect your emotions, and then if you need to uh, come back after a short period or schedule a time when you can actually come back mm-hmm. and, and address this. And I think the combination of both of those things, the scheduling and the timeout word can really help with that stonewalling aspect.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, So, our fifth rule is don't fight to win. So, remember that you two, uh, you know, both members of a marriage are both a part of the same team. Mm -hmm. As we said earlier, it is not a competition, and you should be fighting to win as a team. Right, mm-hmm. not uh, as as an individual, because uh, if you see them as if you see them as competition, and your goal is to kind of beat them down to submission and and hopefully bring them to your side, right? In in, in reality, what you're probably going to do is lose some degree of trust and intimacy, and if you do that over and over and over again, it's going to be very difficult to to hold on mm-hmm. to that relationship.
1: When I worked with gangs, they even understand this. Like, you're better with more numbers. So if a kid's being picked on in school, sometimes they join the gang because, hey, I've got protection. If you're fighting against your spouse, who do you have on your side against the other issues and stuff that you go through in life? So it's always better to have that person on your side versus competing against them and— yeah,
0: and this one kind of goes with the with the next one, because uh, really, when you're when you're having an argument, it, it it very much feels like you're fighting the other person, mm-hmm. but really, you should be fighting for the betterment of the relationship. Absolutely. So there, uh, you know, number number six or rule number six in this case is focus on the problem, not the person. So you really should be in your in your arguing, you should have a particular. Uh, topic in mind, Mm -hmm. a a particular thing. um, And, and the motivation behind that is the betterment of the relationship, not to assuage your own ego or get something Mm -hmm. out of it that makes you, um, you know, your life easier or more convenient. um, But it's more so, is this going to, is this going to improve the relationship overall? Yeah. Any, uh, any comments on that? Focus on the problem, not the person.
1: Yeah, I think um, we need to remember our vows, you know, and remember why did I marry this person in the first place? I had a conversation with one of my uh, one of my child clients today, and, and she gave me permission to talk about this. I said, would it be okay if I use this? She was so excited that I was going to— I was asking her, tell me all the things you like about your sister. And she fights with her sister a lot. And she started sharing things, and I could tell at first she was having trouble, but the more she shared things that she liked about her sister, the more she found she had other things that she liked about her sister until she got to the point she said, you know what? I think I like my sister a lot more than I don't like her. And that's the key is, you know, we we want to look for the things that we like in that person versus the things that we don't like. If you're just looking at the things you don't like, then yeah, you're— you you could go to town on him. <laughs>
0: some uh, some practical tips to actually focus make sure that when you're having a, uh, an argument with somebody else that you are actually focusing on the problem is to avoid uh, avoid starting your sentences with words like you and your mm-hmm. right so if you're if you're using those words you're attaching a label you're creating an identity against that person and you're you're sort of implying whether you may, mean to or not you're implying that the person themselves is the problem not mm-hmm. necessarily some characteristic about that person and so yes. you kind of take the whole the whole package, so to speak, of that person, and create this this negative identity associated mm-hmm. with them. And it's very hard for them not to be defensive if you make uh, those types of statements. You should also avoid black and white words. You know things like always and never. Every time, right? nobody never. nobody is one hundred percent one way or vice versa or zero mm-hmm. percent one way. Um, so so avoiding those words is is always helpful uh, because it, it generally just leads to more discontentment and disagreement. and you
1: ruin your credibility.
0: Absolutely, that is true.
1: (laughs) You can lose a fight based on credibility. So
0: instead of using words like "you" and "your," you know, try to use "I feel" statements mm-hmm. instead. So versus "you always do this" or "you're mm-hmm. you're like this" or "you remind me of your mother," right? Things like that. Ooh. You know, you <laughs> want to say things like "I uh, when X happens, I, this it makes me feel like such and such," mm-hmm. right? That's going to be a lot more neutralizing language. It's not going to come across so antagonistic, and probably yeah. they're going to be more receptive of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for number seven, our our seventh rule. Uh, for how to fight fair is sort of a combination, but basically a sequence of events uh, that if you're uh, engaging with somebody, you you really Mm want to follow these steps. And the order here is imperative. So the first is to listen. So be all ears, don't interrupt. The second second, uh, would be to empathize with them. So whatever you can find in what they're saying, you really want to try to hold on to that and try to create as much empathy as possible. The third is to inquire. So after you've empathized to ask questions, basically make sure that you've Mm -hmm. got that right. And then the fourth would be once all of that is done and you feel like both of you are on the same page and you're understanding each other, then you're going to work towards finding a solution
1: just one of the the initial ones that you that you mentioned is listen all the way to the end and stuff. I think one of the things that happens when we don't listen all the way to the end is we wind up jumping to conclusions. We think we know what the person is saying, but in actuality they might turn a course, you know, as they're talking about things and sometimes even as I'm saying something, I'll realize as it's coming out of my mouth, I disagree with myself or I want to say something else instead. And so you're not allowing that person to A, get everything out and go wherever they were planning on going. But two, we also don't realize that I may be thinking something that that person isn't thinking and then I'm responding to that and then they're going to respond differently back but also then when they when they when I'm saying something they also have more to say and so they're going to be reacting to me interrupting with all that extra stuff that they have to say versus them being able to fully listen to what I have to say in response too so it just it becomes worse and worse over time.
0: Yeah, I like what you said about as you're as you're speaking you realize yeah, I don't necessarily agree with what I'm saying, <laughs> but a lot of times our, our ego then kicks in, and we can't we can't pull it back, and mm-hmm. we don't want to admit that we're wrong, so we just continue and sort <laughs> of double down. And mm-hmm. uh, I've definitely gotten better as I've gotten older, you know, and in my relationship as I've learned, like it's better to just admit when you're wrong as soon as you can, you know, mm-hmm. ask for forgiveness if you said something stupid, yeah, and uh, and just kind of move on. Uh, so the last the last uh, point to make is to. Consider an aftercare ritual, mm-hmm. and you know when you when you've had a fight, uh, a lot of times you know there can be kind of there may be hurt feelings or sort of still heightened emotions, and you may not particularly like or necessarily want to be around the person. But if you can show you know through some uh, through some ritual of sorts uh, that you still really do care for that person, I think that's mm-hmm. going to go a long way to really expediting, you know, the amount of time that it takes for you guys to kind of get back to baseline. So, a couple of examples that that uh, I've I've thought of, you know, something like hand-holding, right? Mm-hmm. Even even if you don't necessarily want to do it, just doing it, it's really hard to be mad at somebody that you're that you're holding hands with and you're doing so for a long time. Another mm-hmm. one is hugging. So, you know, my wife and I, this is one that we've actually used uh, a number of times when, you know, th- maybe one of us is at the end of a fight. One of us is in a decent place, like headspace, and we can be present. But the other one's still kind of suffering and, and feeling kind of down. Mm-hmm. Just giving them a big hug and just holding them and 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 letting the letting the hug you know be long, right? Until you start to- an awkward you know? <laughs> hug. But a lot of times that helps to release that physical tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing might be to list off a few of your favorite things about the other person, just to remind them that, hey, you know, I, yes, there was this thing that we talked about and it kind of, it was uncomfortable, but there's still so much about you Mm -hmm. that I still really like.
1: Yeah. And even saying, I love you, or if you were cooking or something in the midst of it and you finish making the meal and eat it together, you know, that says, hey, I haven't given up on you. We're still in this together kind of thing. So.
0: Uh, did you want to, let's, uh, do you want to discuss the how we love quiz a little bit?
1: Yes. So there's a couple things that, you know, we want, we want to remember. And, and that is, is we all have different personalities and stuff in the way that ways that we deal with conflict. And one of, one of the things I like to give my couples is there's a website called howwelove.com and on there's the opportunity to take a quiz. And it's not one of those like, you know, Uh, magazine quizzes to give you your personality. It's a little bit deeper than this. And it's actually a quiz that you take to find out your attachment or love style. And what I like about it especially is that it helps you understand what kind of fighter even you are and the fighting dynamic that you probably have a pattern of doing with your spouse because you're both finding out what your attachment styles are. And some people might be an avoider. Some people might be a pleaser. And you really get to see like, oh, wow, how do they understand how we fight all the time or how we deal with conflict but it's because of that attachment style that shows, oh, so this is what I'm doing, and this is what's not helpful in what I'm doing, and that's what's pulling us apart. Versus these are some things I can try. They also have some books in a work or a book and a workbook too that you can do in addition to that if you're both willing to work on it. So
0: excellent. That sounds like an amazing resource. I think <laughs> I might have to go on, yeah. online and, mm-hmm. and take that test as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so just in in summary, let's kind of go through some of the things that we talked about. Uh, just. You know, kind of going through the the basic principles of CIT. Just remember that frequently, you know, a lot of times when we uh, we, we we tend to blame other individuals, we accept the victim mentality, and a lot of times we're uh, the cause of the problems in the relationship mm-hmm. that we're typically. Uh, uh giving or yeah tell, saying that the other person is responsible for um you know we we recognize that it's difficult to kind of examine your own part in these sorts of things but it really is a, a, a necessity in order to actually achieve um, some improvement in your marriage mm-hmm. uh recognizing that your own ego is really the thing that's holding you back and constantly blaming your your spouse or even yourself uh, mm-hmm. is really not appropriate and and is definitely not a good way to go about it So changing yourself yourself is the best thing to do uh, in uh, in order to have a more successful and thriving marriage. And then just real quick, we'll kind of run through those rules that we discussed. So You know, the perception, you want to change your perception so conflict is not inherently bad. Uh, You want to establish fair fight boundaries. Uh, You want to schedule the argument in advance if possible. You want to have a timeout word in case things get too heated. You want to not approach the argument with the intent to win as an individual, but for you to win collectively Mm -hmm. as a group. You want to focus on the problem and not the person. Uh, You want to listen First, then empathize, empathize, then inquire, and then problem solve, and lastly consider an aftercare ritual uh, for after the fact so that you guys can regain some of that trust and intimacy that maybe maybe a little bit um, uh, you know lost uh, after the argument.
1: hmm Yeah, that's a good summary. I would I would add something else too, and we kind of talked about this earlier before we started the part podcast, but um, one of the most important things I think to remember is we're not just dealing with the adult version of ourselves, we're dealing with the child version of ourselves and some of us have, you know, been wounded in certain areas in our life and that's what causes us or contributes, I should say, to our fighting style and so be empathetic when you know that your partner is you know, having, has a hard time with those things. Don't use it against them. Use it to recognize that child that you love inside of them that is hurting or has been wounded. And I think that goes actually with a verse that we were talking about in the Bible and Philippians 2, and I think my marker fell out of here, so I'm going to try to find it quickly, but... Yeah, Philippians 2, and it's verses 1 through 4. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians, and it says, Your life in Christ makes you strong, and His love comforts you. You have fellowship with the Spirit, and you have kindness and compassion for one another. I urge you then to make me completely happy by having the same thoughts, sharing the same love, and being one in soul and mind. And this is the kicker. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast or be right. I added that part. But be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves. And look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. And that's a, I think that's a good note to end on because sometimes, you know, we married that person for a reason. I married my husband because of all of his wonderful qualities and I don't want to be so focused on that one thing that we're fighting about right now that I forget all of those other qualities. And that's why I think, you know, my young client who reminded me of that today is, you know, that was such a valuable thing to hear her even say because it was such a good reminder for all of us. You know, even a young kid can tell us something wise every once in a while. So keep that in mind and uh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast today on fighting fair. We hope that you can uh, have, have learned something, uh, you know, conceptually or practically that you can go and incorporate right away into uh, the next argument that you hopefully won't have, mm-hmm. but we all realize <laughs> that we do have them. And so we have to just learn how to uh, do so in a, in a fair fashion. Mm-hmm. And if you only take one thing away from today's show, remember this, if mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Jonathan Edens.
1: And I'm Amanda Anguish. And you've been listening to The
0: The Brain People People Podcast.
1: Podcast. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, find us on social media or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com.